What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Mort. Uh, I've got a special one today. I've got a, got a, got a person who uh, has not been on for a while, actually. I think it was sometime in 2021 that I had, uh, had this person on. But he is the director of content at DNVR, and he also is a co-host of Locked On Nuggets podcast. He also, co he, he also hosts the DNVR Nuggets podcast and does the pre and post game stuff like, I mean, look, he's omnipresent, but he is also very talented. It is, it is my friend, Adam Marez. Hello, Adam. I am omnipresent. I like that. Um, <laughs> Jeff, and also, Jeff, 2021 was like a week ago. And that's right. That's right. I mean, it just feels, it feels like a year ago. I mean, speaking of that, due to that, is that uh, uh, not speaking, trying not to speak out of turn here, but uh, Adam was recently diagnosed with the ver the Omicron uh, that has been circulating around. Um, so, by the way, you, I assume it was Omicron. I don't actually know. They didn't tell me. They really didn't tell me anything. They're just like, "Yeah, you're positive. Go home." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh no! Yeah, they I showed me the little else. stick. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I but so just to, just to, as a public service uh, thing, just kind of let people know how you're doing right now and uh, what's up. I'm great. I just went for a walk. Uh, it's my first time leaving the room. I was like, I was in this room for three days. So I'm like, you know what? I need to go exercise. I went bird watching. I saw 21 species of birds. Very excited about that. Nice. And, nice. Uh, and I feel good. I got a runny nose. I got a little foggy head, um, but everything's so mild. Like I, I, Yesterday, I was telling people I was asymptomatic, but I think that's doing a disservice. I definitely feel different, but not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's a, uh, I've had a friends who've had uh, an Omicron breakthrough and they all, they, 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 after they've been boosted, like you have, right? You, you, you have the booster shot. So uh, they've all yeah. said the same thing. It's just like annoying. They've all described it as it's just annoying more than anything yeah. else. So, hey, man, this is good. Oh. And it's everyone as I mean, look, everyone I'm, I'm sure who's going to have to go through this sort of thing um, because this is very, very contagious. I mean, obviously, it's good to hear from people like you who've been vaccinated and boosted to hear what you're going through at the moment. Right. So, all right. Well, right. We're you're here to talk about um, the Denver Nuggets, um, Ooh, a, a, a team that I have been a fan of since 1987 and have covered since uh, 2009. And when I, Adam had me on his DNVR Nuggets podcast, and I, I mentioned something that actually I wanted to expand on it. And it was something how this year, the vibes of this year, and the, the way this year is going is a five out of 10. And I'm still stuck on that because I think one of the reasons Nuggets fans, if you pay attention to Twitter, um, seem to be kind of not dealing with this year very well is because of the midness of this year. They, everything is just a very middle of the road of this year. You can't say they're terrible, but you can't say they're good. And I think it's driving people nuts. Has that been your like perception of things so far? Of course. I mean, this is the thing about the season. It's just like, it's just annoying. It's, yeah. it's a bummer. And, yeah. and it's funny. We were talking, I saw you, I met, met more having a sort of, in each other's mentions talking about this season and have Nuggets fans been through this before. It is a different type of sort of um, struggle I guess, of a season. And that the Nuggets had a lot of years where you entered with no hope and then it either stayed no hope or got worse. Yeah. But this is a season where you entered with hope and it got worse. So you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Um, but it, you know, it's a bummer, but here's the thing about sports. I really believe this. You, 
there's something to get from every single season, every single game, every single something. And when you, you just have, I think fans just have to reset, not expectations, but perspectives and be like, okay, we thought it was going to be this thing. It's not. Once you recalibrate, you're like, all right, there's some interesting stuff going on. Well, it's hard. I mean, I think, I think the expectation game actually began diminishing last year. And I think a lot, largely it coincides with Jamal's injury. And I think people kind of went through the, the, the bargaining phase going through to the playoffs. And then this year with Porter being out and just all the, the, the weirdness with COVID um, it has kind of made things a little uh, wonky. And as far as perception goes, I'm not, the, the team behavior is, has nothing to do with that. The team behavior is like they're, they're, they're in struggle city because they're like every other team. This is why I, I don't give, of individual teams to pass for the COVID thing because I think like every team is going through the same thing. So it's like you just got to muddle through. But the injuries, there's a, not a lot you can do about that. And I think if the one thing that has really hurt the Nuggets more than anything else, it's just this catastrophic uh, season-ending injuries that they've gone through. Yeah. Yeah, it's the Michael Porter part, honestly. Like the P.J. Dozier one, I do feel, and even Vladko Chanchar now, we just found out today he's out for at least 12 more weeks. He'll be reevaluated. I mean, he's pretty much out for the year. Um, so those pieces, like, I not to be, you know, not to feel insensitive, but I feel like those things happen every year. Every team loses one player every year, and you just hope it's not one of your main guys. It's the Michael Porter piece that Nuggets fans both were waiting for so long. Like, Michael Porter arrived, he had a redshirt year, and then – Malone wouldn't play him that much. And then last year up and down. And so this felt like the year where everybody was like, finally, we get Michael Porter. He gets to take 20 shots a night. We're going to see what he's got. And we just never got it. So I think that's, it really, forget all of this other stuff. It really just comes down to Michael Porter. You know, I was thinking about it because I, uh, yesterday on the radio, I, uh, I said, my mom has a very similar disc problem to Michael Porter Jr. And it is very often and very frequent, and I think you probably heard this when you had that uh, that uh, specialist on uh, locked on uh, about last month. Is that often, and when you have this kind of disc issue, uh, follow up is needed um, because inevitably pressure comes back down on the disc. Mm. But for Mike, it was three years, and it wasn't ten years, and then right. that's just the nature, right. and that's just the nature of being an athlete you're going to have these issues happen quicker than you will if you're just a regular person like my mom who worked in the restaurant business and just had to have it just one follow-up and then she's never had to have an issue again. Um, I think that the follow-up was always something that I was thinking was going to happen. And the, and it was very clear to me that Mike was trying to avoid that at all costs, but it was telling to me that he felt like 200% better as soon as the surgery happened. It was night and day from what I'm told. Right. And that gave me confidence, believe it or not, going forward, because I've dealt with this with my mom. Like, okay, he can relieve the pain this much going forward. Right. Um, I'm more concerned about Jamal coming back because I worry, he's a hard worker and I worry about rebound injuries. I worry about maybe the left, the, the left step happening, the left or the right, you know, just the, the MCL happening. And that happens all the time with ACL injuries, just all the time. And I kind of wonder if we're putting too many eggs into the Jamal basket, because uh, if we all remember Danilo Gallinari, it took him most of a season to 
finally kind of sort of look like himself uh, post uh, knee surgery. So um, what are your feelings about Jamal uh, as far as that goes? I'm less concerned about the re-injury aspect of all of this. Um, look, it's always a risk. And if it happens, everyone's going to say, I told you. That's exactly, even though it just could be a thing that just happened. But yeah. I, I think with Jamal, the only thing that gives me pause, Jeff, is do you remember when Nurkic was traded to Portland? Yeah. One of the things Terry Stott said immediately was he has an imbalance in his leg from the one that got hurt. And that would have never happened when, if he was with us. And it was a very open and public shot at the Denver Nuggets, his training staff and organization. And look, I don't know anything else about the Nuggets' organization other than that one detail in terms of how they handle this. But that's my one fear is how could somebody feel so confident about something to say he has an imbalance in the size of his legs? Like, I just don't know how an NBA team could allow something like that. Now, Nurkic was a weird situation. Like, this could have been solely on Nurkic. We all know he was checked out. So maybe it was on him that he didn't get fully back into shape in this or that. In fact, that makes most logical sense. But that's the only thing that gives me pause is, are the Nuggets as invested in all of those types of cutting edge sciences and, and technologies as everyone else? Because we certainly don't see or hear about that from them. And so I, that would be my only concern. Well, I was saying, uh, I could give you a little bit of context. Yeah, the player does have to actively participate in their recovery. And sometimes they overwork things. I mean, a lot of it, you just have to trust the player uh, until they get to you. And then you can manage what, and it's all about how much they are willing to engage with the team on their recovery. Right. And uh, there was a player, I won't mention who, but who was recently... Um, back on the nuggets and is no longer here who was here in 2014 ish and didn't actively participate in his own recovery and it was very much to the annoyance of the training staff that was here at the time right. and not to make excuses for the nuggets training plan training staff i don't know exactly what else goes into it but i, I think that part is there and i think with nurkic right. obviously there's a little bit of that he remember he had that patellar injury his rookie year. And that is basically the reason Nikola Jokic got here in 2015 is Nurkic was out with uh, that patellar, partially torn patellar. And I think that that part is all the serendipity of it. But he didn't, I think he actively participated, but he did it in the Nurkic way. And anyone who knows Yusuf Nurkic, you would know exactly what I mean. Um, so, I mean, the vibes about this year have been kind of muddled because everyone is kind of freaked out. Obviously we're in the pandemic, but it's also because of these injuries and there's nothing that Nuggets can do about it. And I think there's going to become a point during this year where people are going to actively understand that, look, the Nuggets, there's only so much the Nuggets could do about their current situation. And I think once they understand that, the, maybe not liking it, but accepting what's going on becomes easier. Mm. May, uh, look, the one thing I'll say is Jamal and Nurkic couldn't be more different. So mm -hmm. there's, that's like a nice thing. And, and yep. Jamal is also, I think, a guy that, um, you know, desperately, I think, wants to get back. I mean, you see all the things he's posting lately. Like, he's starting to drop the hints about, like, it's, right, it's time. Like, I'm getting annoyed of not being able to play. So mm -hmm. I imagine he's attacking and has attacked this thing with full seriousness. And, and one of the exciting things about the next month, I know Michael Malone's trying to squash and temper expectations. And rightfully so, but I think in the next month is when we start to hear things, and mm -hmm. that's exciting.
just the hey he's moving into this phase or hey jamal murray's starting to play three on three or one-on-one or something you know whatever we just start to get those updates at least i hope so you know uh you brought up the next month and and a little along with jamal murray and whenever he comes back or whenever that is um the nugget schedule is going to about to get a lot easier and yeah I've been comparing it and it's not a one for one comparison, but as far as the schedule layout, this is very similar to the 2012, 13 year where the nuggets played 22 of their first 32 games on the road. And then suddenly in January, the floodgates opened and they won, they went 40 and 10 for the rest of the, and I don't think that's going to happen with this team, but that, that, that is, that is what happened. And this is largely because the schedule opened up and the schedule just became so much easier. Now, the NBA threw a wrench in this when with the, the two delays and the Nuggets having to go through makeup games during this stretch that was supposed to be a lot easier. So what is your view of this team like as of night, you know, as far as the schedule goes from right now until the end of the year is, do you think they could take advantage, even though they're at a diminished capacity, do you think they could take advantage of the schedule to kind of uh, maybe go on a semi run? I mean, there's no question that the time is now. And I think it's actually interesting that the Nuggets are 18 and 18. This is one of the things I'm going to talk about today on the DNVR Nuggets pregame show. But I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me that the Nuggets are 18 and 18 on Orthodox Christmas, Serbian Christmas. <laughs> because this has, I think this is, offers a great chance when you go between it being Serbian Christmas, which Jokic actually does take seriously, by the way. Like this is Christmas for Jokic. Yeah. We celebrate on the 25th. He celebrates January 7th. So it's that it's a big day for him, but also Monte Morris is back. The Nuggets have been playing, you know, this Faku Rivers combo. Like I think they're going to have more of a normal starting five, normal relative to you know Murray and Porter being out. And this hopefully marks a point when Denver can have the most continuity they've had all season. You got a home game against Sacramento. You get games against the Thunder and a very shorthanded Clippers. You know, on the road next week. But then you come home for six straight games. Denver, the Nuggets have not been home. Actually, is it seven games now? Did they extend it? No, it's six games still. Six games. Uh, The Nuggets have not been home for that long since training camp, since after training camp, actually. So this is the opportunity for Jokic to be around his family and newborn child for the longest he's probably ever been around it. Think about that. This will be the the most time Jokic has ever spent with his own daughter. Will be coming up starting next week. Wow. And the baby's entire life, the baby's what, four months old, three months old. Like wow. that's wild to think. So my hope is that things feel more normal for the Nuggets. Michael Malone comes back. Most of the starting lineup comes back and the next two weeks feel different than any other stretch of the season and hopefully different in a great way. I, I think I honestly, I'm pretty, I've been pretty Zen about this year because everyone's in a pile of shit as far as this year goes and it's just you're so zen jeff uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like i'm like it is what it is it i think the games don't yeah. upset me nothing that i mean it's like i, I this seat this team is not like the most disappointing high expectation team with a ton of talent that i ever saw was the 95 96 team right yeah which had rauf bryant stith antonio mcdice uh dale ellis and uh, Matumbo with Jalen Rose and Lafonso Ellis coming off the bench. And that was one of the most talented teams I ever saw. And they won 35 games that year. And that was my level of disgust that I had at that point. I'm like, screw it. I'm done. And 
of course, that was the Mahmoud Arouf kneeling down year and all that stuff, or not, or the uh, not standing for the national for, for, anthem. For reference for people that don't know, that that era of Nuggets would be more like if Murray, Porter, and Bones all suffered career-ending injuries. Like, right. It, it would be more like, like, I mean, I know Michael Porter's right now is a little questionable, although I think we both feel confident that he'll be able to still play at a pretty high level when he comes yeah. back. Yeah. But Jamal Murray, certainly, I mean, there's precedent for players tearing ACLs coming back and being better than themselves, you know, than they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it would be more like right now it doesn't feel like the Nuggets era is closed by any means at all. No. In fact, Jokic, I'm more hopeful than ever that he's going to spend the next seven, eight, nine, ten years here. And if you have Jokic, you have fun. You have a good, a good era. But those other guys, like if you could just imagine the door being closed to the point where nobody really had hope, like by 96, I don't know what the hope was. 96, 97, you're kind of like, man, yeah. where are we going? What's the yeah. team? Oh, yeah. 95, 96 is the, they just came off that playoff series against the, 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 the Spurs and when they were swept. And then they added McDice that year. And yeah. it was like the expectations went from, oh, crap, to way high again. And then they just shit yeah. the bed. Um, yeah. But I think. You know, I, I, you brought up Jokic, and I want to, I want to, I want to throw this out there. People have thought that I haven't been um, as on board with the Jokic era as others, and I think I explained this. Was it your podcast? Or, yeah, I think it was your podcast where I said the Brian Shaw era ruined me, and I and I and it took me a long time to get to the where I'm like, okay, I can accept this sort of thing because that was, there's stories that I will eventually tell that that would just blow your mind. But now, now that I'm in this, I want to talk about Jokic and say, this is the best I've ever seen him play, period. I mean, this year is 100% the best I've ever seen him play. And this is by far a more substantive MVP type year than last year was for me. This is like, he's doing stuff that, well, frankly, um, Steph Curry was doing last year with that, uh, with that uh, uh, injured uh, Warriors team. So when you look at Jokic this season, do you come away thinking this team is only mediocre right now because Jokic is lifting up from bad, atrocious to mediocre? Because that's kind of the way I've been looking at it. We're getting a brilliant Jokic year with a roster that, I mean, could be well, well, well worse record-wise than they are right now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I agree. First of all, I agree with you about Jokic. And it's funny, like, Jeff, I get it, man. Everybody has, like, a point in time where things are more special to them. Like you, I, I for example, between us, I don't have, like, super fond memories of anything from my childhood. And, you know, I had a happy childhood. It's just I don't – I'm not nostalgic for that era's, you know, any anything particular about that era. And then you also started covering the Nuggets in the Gallo era, the 2013 team, like the uh, just a really, really, really great era uh, with some players you really connected with. And now I think obviously, you're, like you said, you do connect with Jokic and Jamal and all these guys too, mm-hmm. but you're just, you're just taking on other sort of perspectives from it. Whereas with me, one, Jokic is, I've said this before, I haven't said it for a long time, but Jokic really is a player that I wish I, I saw when I was a child because he plays a style of basketball that I think opens up new possibilities in my mind of what basketball can be so he's a especially if I really wonder what my perspective would be on Jokic if he was like uh, a Charlotte Hornets player and having the same career I sometimes I like shudder to think about it because he's so fun that I wonder if I would have like missed out on all of the funness of him 
But I could connect with him. And then to me, like, I, I honestly believe this is the best era of Nuggets basketball in their history as I look at back at it like from a historical perspective mm-hmm. because I don't think they've ever had a player like Nikola Jokic. Maybe David Thompson, who just never reached that potential. No. But to me, Jokic, I mean, he's the MVP. First, full, first of all, that should end that conversation. Mm-hmm. But two, he's one of these guys that's, in my opinion, a top – 30 all-time player at being able to do everything for the team not just mm-hmm. score not just rebound not just do this but literally does everything on the offensive end and it just that's why i say no matter what if you have Jokic on your team anything is possible you know and i you brought up a uh, perspectives and i think that's very true i mean i was 16 when the 94 team happened and i, I think that's like the nexus of perfection for like when you start uh being imprinted with basketball you're always you're a teenager and it's just like that's when it just seeps into you and that's that's really when i became a super nuggets fan during the most unfortunate time obviously um but then there's obviously you you talked about me covering the team you know i started covering the nuggets at the end of the mellow era and going through the melodrama and the trade stuff was absolutely asinine but it created a bunker mentality with that particular team and it is so weird to describe it that way but if you talk to my uh andy uh feinstein or nate timmons he'll tell you the same thing it was just we kind of cocooned while that whole crap was going on with the melodrama and we started identifying heavily with the traded players that came gallo wilson chandler right and all this stuff. And I love Will. I haven't spoken to him for a long time, but I love Will. And all that stuff kind of came in. And I don't think that has, I mean, it took, it's, it's not a matter of acceptance. You brought up David Thompson. I'll be honest with you. No one has done what Jokic has done. This right. is 100%. No one on this team ever has done what Jokic has done. Now we'll talk about it in the second segment where I think, I think there are things that I've been specifically taken advantage of in this era that maybe wouldn't have been afforded to him like in the seventies, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but right now, Jokic is doing something with this ragtag bunch of nuggets players uh, and Aaron Gordon. I can't put, put him in the ragtag category, but there, this is really is a team that he is willing to be 18 and 18. And I think people need to they take a look at this and go what Jokic is doing right now with, Austin Rivers and a rookie in Bones Highland and uh, uh, guys on 10-day contracts. Uh, and there's no Corey Alexander from, uh, that's a reference that <laughs> old Nuggets has an old Nuggets reference, but there's all this stuff coming in. And uh, uh, to me, it's special. And I'm just appreciating this for what it is. Right. There's no doubt about it. And honestly, that's why you have to kind of recalibrate your brain and and be hopeful that, okay, the Nuggets are 18 and 18. It hasn't been the most fun year, but there's still, unlike most years, there's an opportunity for fun ahead. And and it could start tonight. That's true. That is true. Um, Okay, we're going to take a break here. And uh, then on the other side, we're going to talk about the, the rules change, which as anyone listener of this show knows I've been a big fan of. And uh, we're going to talk about it in its effect in, uh, after 36 games of the season. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th, the Blake and Wazee, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at bfwdenver.com. Right now, they've got a red Zinfandel, right, that is finished in whiskey barrels. So, you know, wine has about 13% alcohol generally, and some have more. 
but then you add whiskey barrel finish on top of that and the alcohol content goes up by a lot so if you're going to go get that red zin which i highly recommend uh keep that in mind you can't you know power slug it like uh, i tend to do wine um but they also got the the cabernet they got the blake street blend they got you know whites they got uh, rosés basically everything you need and if you go to bfwdenver.com you can pick those up also also they have uh uh swag available on the website and they also got some uh special deals that for you to check out and they also got virtual wine tastings which are extremely popular especially now during covid once again they're located between 18th and 19th and blake and wazee in beautiful lower downtown denver colorado just a couple blocks away from course field right in the middle of the dairy block they're always online at bfwdenver.com they're on facebook and instagram under blanchard family wines when you go in or you talk to them tell them jeff morton from csg podcast sent you <coughs> all right we are back um so first of all uh one of these days i got to take you down to uh to uh, blanchard and uh, treat you to some uh some heavy wine drinking is is what <laughs> i need to do i'm down man <laughs> i'm down um so okay there's some rules changes that happened this off season and that i've been a big fan of wow. and it's been the to to eliminate the unnatural movement to kind of uh kind of get the ridiculousness and i've called it um the funhouse mirror effect of with the last four or five years of the nba and kind of rein it in and be less ridiculous and more like basketball and i've been a big fan i think it's moderated a little bit as the as the season has progressed but your ten thousand foot view uh adam of the of the first 36 35 games of this year uh what do you think about the effect of this rule uh on the game itself well it's been a, a fantastic positive i mean it's uh to me my only thing i would say about it that's negative is they haven't gone far enough and i think they know that yeah. honestly there have been so many here's the thing i don't think people realize about the nba and i've talked to george carl about this on the podcast i do with him the if you go back to 30 years ago coaches did had like one assistant you know they had a trainer and that was it. That was your coaching staff. Like you might've had a couple of guys, you call up so-and-so and this or that. And the way people approach the game was more in, in a lot of ways, less scientific, right. more rudimentary. And now those people, I'm not trying to diminish what they did. They were the building blocks. You know, if you go back mm -hmm. in the league, I, anytime I talk about, in my opinion, the league being more talented now than ever before, the reason anything is ever more talented is because you gain experience from the ones that came before you. And one of the things that happened has happened in the NBA is now a front office has oftentimes 10, 15, 20, maybe more people working for them, more specialized in certain things that people didn't even think about to specialize in. Coaching staff and trainers have more uh, people working for them and more perspectives and research and science. And the consequence of that over the last decade, really it's 15 years, but we'll say last decade, is that people have learned to game the system. <laughs> You've got all these minds thinking about it. They're not just thinking about how can we be better. It's how are these rules flawed in a way that we can take advantage of. And that's why I think the last five years has been this exponential race towards gaming the way the game was called. The league has done some things to take away from that, the jumping sideways, uh, you know, just some of the ticky tack stuff. But mm -hmm. I think what they're learning is they haven't gone far enough because the league has adjusted. Evan Fournier had 10 three-pointers last night. Yes, I think did. the league was worried. If we enforce some of these rules, 
that guys won't make threes the way they used to. What we're learning is these guys are just really good at making threes. Mm -hmm. They were also really good at doing dumb things that were annoying. And if you take away the dumb things that are annoying, you actually don't lose the big threes. You actually still get guys making shots and doing these talented things. So I think they're going to get rid of the Euro foul. I think they're going to probably add a little bit more physicality around the perimeter. And I don't think the game will suffer at all. In fact, I think it'll be more watchable. I agree. And I've said on the podcast that I I, I think what this rule has done is not eliminate the threes. It's made uh, taking the threes, it's, it's, it's slightly less efficient, but it is also more valuable. And that's that it, it I, I know that sounds like a contradiction, but the, the, when you reduce the three, three free throws aspect of it down, the right. value of the three starts to even out the court. And I, and that's one thing that I needed to do. I mean, maybe it's just, just a me thing, but I think the court needed to be evened out a little bit because it was, like I said, it was Funhouse mirror. And I think it still, it still needs to be evened out though. If you're talking yeah. about perimeter versus interior, it's still like, it went from being 80, 20 to like 75, 25. Yeah. There's still more they can do. Uh, but I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. There's a reason DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and uh, if he was playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have had been really good years. And it's because those guys do something that a lot, a lot of players can do. Yeah. And that value yep. got that became increased this year. And that is why DeMar DeRozan did not change his game. I mean, he's a little different, but I mean, he is still the same yeah. mid-range guy. I mean, he killed the Nuggets with mid-range in, in, uh, in that game uh, when, in Denver. He yeah. just, just mid-range them to death. And not that it's become a mid-range game like Kobe suddenly out here, but I'm like, there's guys that do it like that, that let's face it, players just don't focus on that so guys like that become more valuable and that's kind of what i like because it's putting value in different areas and uh it's not dramatic and i and i think people misunderstand me it's not dramatic it's just a subtle thing and i'm with you they could do more um and uh but at the same time i kind of like what i've seen this year i it's been it's been more balanced than it's been since the late 2000s the 2000 to the early 2010s and those fouls though i think the reason is those fouls where damian i mean the foul damian Lillard had 55 points in that i, I don't remember what it was game four or whatever game maybe game five he mm-hmm. had 55 points everybody was so in, impressed by it you remember that overtime run started with one of those fouls where austin rivers barely grazed his shoulder in a way that was so inconsequential it's like hey yeah. that's a foul you did and it's just like I don't, I don't know why more people just didn't recognize. Maybe it's because it was against my team. They're like, this isn't impressive. He got bailed out by a dumb, stupid foul. Uh, but to your point about mid-rangers, here's what's so interesting about the mid-range. Because I think this is the biggest misconception about how the game has evolved. DeMar DeRozan gets a lot of his mid-rangers off of elbow touches, like elbow post-ups for, for like Kobe-esque post-ups. But more than anything, he gets them off of pick and roll where he gets into the mid-range and then like you run a high screen and then he takes one dribble towards the foul line and gets a jumper. And he's great at those. The types of mid-rangers that are most eliminated today, the Iversonian, seven dribbles, six crossovers, and you step back yeah. to the mid-range and you get a, a shot up. Or the pick and pop Marcus Camby's where it's like you throw the ball right now. If you run pick and pop with, you know, Jokic or Jermichael Green, nine times out of 10, if it's for a shot, it's for a three pointer. And if you pick and pop to him at the foul line, he's ice, you know, he's doing, he created a mismatch or you're doing this or that, or it's a floater or this or that. 
And it used to be back in the day, a big set of screen and roll, and they would roll right to the foul line and shoot a 15 footer. And those are the shots that are like, we've learned, you know, Marcus can be from the foul line or, or a little bit further, not that great of a shot. We don't oh, need yeah. that one. And those <laughs> yeah. are the ones that cut out. Well, let me, I just, you just reminded me. The, the reappraisal of Marcus Camby has been one of the most uh, interesting things yeah. to me because yeah. there was Thank never you. a more infuriating Nuggets player than Marcus Camby. And I, yeah. I, I those, those long mid-range twos that he would chuck up and he would, ch- and by the way, Marcus Camby was a chucker and it drove me absolutely <laughs> nuts. And people like, they've done this weird reappraisal and it's weird and it's because of the blocks. And I'm like, yeah, oh yeah. my God, totally. you're seeing Clint Capella, and he wasn't a Clint Capella kind of type of player. He would chuck these shots, and it would right. drive me nuts. Anyway, sorry, that, that's a rant. I think I think Marcus Candy, <laughs> interestingly enough, is probably among the most overrated player. Like he's a guy that I think, if he came around today, would would he would be evaluated completely different. Not just because it's a different league. Even if the league was playing the old way, I just think, yeah, you're right. He can't block shots you know, the defensive rebounds, uncontested defensive rebounds, things that we know now are like probably pretty overrated. And then yes, of course, that mid-range shot, which he would make maybe 40% of, and it's like, wow, he could shoot. It's like, no, actually just eating up terrible possessions. Um, so, and, and the off-on numbers, by the way, reflected that. I re- if I recall, I think his MV or his defensive player of the year season he was like the team was better defensively without him. Without him on the floor, I'll never forget Tim. Tim Duncan mocked it after after uh, Cam, uh, after Camby won Defensive Player of the Year. Tim Duncan, who never said anything, was like yeah. openly laughing about uh, it. It was just anyway. But I, I was just I was just thinking about the reappraisal here. But you talk about you talk about the rules being differently, and people were freaking out about it. And some players were definitely adversely affected by it and you brought up Damian Lillard I mean obviously he's had some injuries but he was clearly adversely affected by it um do you know who wasn't Steph Curry who is a legendary right right, legendary shooter he was not affected by this but the guys and Trey Young it took him a while to adjust to it but you notice that he did Lillard is the one who spent the most time in it and has had the hardest time adjusting so when you look at the rules changes to me it's kind of diminished Lillard's trade value a little and it needs to me it's because he was so dependent on getting those fouls do you look at that and think there's certain guys that were flourishing before the rules changes and do you look at them differently now well there's two teams before the season that I actually said were specifically vulnerable to the rule changes the Portland Trailblazers and the Atlanta Hawks yeah and if you look at both of them outside of the playoff window right now, looking in, not outside the playoffs, outside the play in both of those teams. That's right. So um, now I don't attribute that entirely to the, the one thing I'll say that's interesting about Damian Lillard. And by the way, Trey Young's having a fantastic season. Like he's actually still doing really well. He had 56 Mm -hmm. points the other day. So it's not like Mm -hmm. he personally has been slowed down, even though I do think there's probably something to their offense has slowed down at least in part because of that. But the thing about the Portland trailblazers, LeBron, Tom Brady, a couple of these other athletes that have lasted into their late thirties, early forties without drop-off, I think have warped our brains into forgetting that most players, especially six foot tall players fall off pretty sharply once they hit about 31, 32. And here's Damian Lillard. And I think we're all like, well, LeBron's 37. So, Oh, Lillard's still going to be in his prime for five more years. Like, no, Lillard might actually just be past his prime and on the downside. And when you're a guard who is already 
people never talked about this, although last year or so it's picked up a lot of traction. Lillard's among the worst defensive guards in all of the NBA. You have to build an entire team around saving him on the defensive end. So if your offense goes from being a top three scoring guard in the league to a top 10, a top 12, all of a sudden you've lost a lot of your value. And I honestly think that's what's happened so much. So this is my hottest take. If I were the Portland trailblazers, this isn't about loyalty. Like, Oh, well, I would do him the favor he so desperately wants, but will never ask for and actually try to trade him now before his value completely falls off. Well, I agree. Um, but I'll tell, I'll tell you this. I'll give, I'll give you an anecdote. Um, well, not, maybe not an anecdote, but a kind of a historical allegory. And it's right here in Denver. Uh, Allen Iverson hit a brick wall yep. so dramatically that it was stunning to the entire league. Um, and the Denver Nuggets knew it. Um, Yep. He had actually a good season in 2007, 2008. Yep. In the off season, he came in, uh, actually not even off season training camp. And the, the front office was like, Oh my God. Right. He's lost like two steps and it was just the off season. So they, the fact that they were able to do the uh, Iverson trade and still get such tremendous value was incredible. But Iverson hit that wall and some guys just do that. And, and you're yep. right it's usually guards that just like they suddenly don't have that thing anymore. Um, right. And it's rare that they're able to adapt. I mean, Derek Rose is a little, has been able to do that as a, you know, spot player now, but um, at, at outside of that, it is rare that a guard is able to overcome hitting that ball. Yeah. I, and James Harden, by the way, another one. And here's the difference between Damian Lillard, who by all accounts takes incredible care of his body and is not by most accounts up in a party animal mm -hmm. but i do look at you know james harden is alan iverson was will barton is yeah so i kind of look at this and i go man some of these guys i mean will barton's what 30 31 mm -hmm. and part of me just wonders like hey man some or maybe he's only 29 he actually might only be 29 i think he's 29 yeah. um but some of these guys i do wonder like hey man father time comes for all of us we've been warped by a handful of players oh no he's 31 Actually, oh, wow. his birthday was, that's right. His birthday was yesterday. I forgot. His birthday oh, was happy He's birthday, Will. years old. <laughs> and I do wonder if some of these guys who, you know, have been less than like Tom Brady, you know, doesn't eat sugar or like he doesn't do anything right. for 20 years. Now he's been so strict about his diet. That's why he's done it. But guys that aren't that militant, maybe time catches up to you in ways they even they didn't anticipate. Iverson, Iverson had two good years here in Denver. When he left, his career was over. Yeah. Know, People do not remember how quickly the door closed on Allen Iverson. It was Hall of Famer one year, out of the league two years later. Well, he hit a wall, and I've never seen anything like that. That's the that's the first time I'd ever seen someone lose it that quickly, and without an injury, at least yeah. without an injury. And that was just so dramatic. And it wasn't lifestyle. It was just sometimes players just do that, and we forget that uh, um, Damian Lillard went to four. It went all four years college too, so he was older right, when he right. came in um kind of like Dwayne right. Wade remember Dwayne Wade kind of fell off dramatically right. too and that yeah. was just that and was... Dwayne Wade by the way is one of the all-time great athletes so he's a great example of this where you're like you think oh well the great athletes can survive no sometimes the great athletes also just hit a wall and that's what happened with Wade that's a great a great example Jeff yeah it's just it's one of those things so before I before I uh mercifully let you go um <laughs> I know Lillard's older, by the way. He's old. He's 31, but he's half a year older than than Will Barton. So just to give you a little perspective, like yeah. I, that's why I'm saying I don't know that this is a coincidence. Oh, 
when was um uh you know i i was thinking about it and and we have come to a point in the nba where there's a, the makings and has the ingredients of a great year but obviously due to covid it's just been messed up and if there is something that you were able to take away from this year well, going forward obviously the covid thing is going to even out and it won't be as prevalent towards the back end of the year will you look back on this year and think you know this was a this was a just a lost year it was too messed up due like the two previous years or will you say this was the beginning due to some ingredients coming in of a new era of nba basketball this basketball game this basketball season is such a microcosm of the way i really believe this the way the world works in that i we don't know the answer to that jeff it really is more about how the nuggets respond to it would you have written this up in a script if you were writing a hollywood movie about the nuggets arc of course not no but here's the thing nurkic i remember when he got hurt his rookie season it was a bummer because he was the best part of the 2014 season. It was all Nurkic. But guess what? Little did we know his injury was the most important thing, probably the most important thing that happened to the Denver Nuggets over the last decade. And that was because his injury forced Nikola Jokic to play minutes his rookie season, which I still don't think would have happened, at, you know, or at least wouldn't have happened to the degree. But Jokic played game number one of the 2015 season, game number one. And I don't know if that would have happened and then Nurkic being out for as long as he was, was a bummer. But again, it gave us 500 minutes of Jokic that early, early on in that season. And it was like, oh, wow, look, this guy's pretty good. I don't know if the same thing's going to happen with the Nuggets, but the Nuggets have been so shorthanded this year that Jokic has been forced to become more aggressive, more dominant, better uh, in those accounts. I think the next six weeks are Bones Highland's best opportunity to really grow uh, as a player. And again, if Jamal Murray was here, if, if all these guys were here, I don't know if he gets that one. So there are opportunities that we don't know if they're going to be positive, but they are real opportunities they wouldn't have had otherwise. And I hope that all the players involved uh, take advantage of that. Oh, I do too. And I, and I think that we're now at a nexus to where once players start coming back and most players have been I mean, over 100 players have been into COVID protocols now in the NBA. Right. Uh, well over. I think it's like 170. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's just in, it's completely insane. But once you get people back and things begin to normalize, I'm actually very hopeful. Maybe not necessarily from a Nuggets perspective as far as wins and losses and what they're going to be able to do. We'll see when Jamal gets back. But I, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that this is going to be a good NBA playoffs this year. Um, and hopefully, and, and the good thing is it, uh, the, the Lakers are terrible. And uh, I, I think when we look back at the Lakers and we see that, the, as I said on their, your podcast, they are exactly who they were going to be going into this year. Um, it'll be nice to see a bunch of old, other, you know, other teams, Phoenix and Golden State and Utah. And uh, they're the, clearly the top three, but I mean, there's a bunch of new blood out there, Memphis, and I'm, I'm really kind of excited to see the new um, direction it's going to go. I, I've said this yesterday, I think, on the Lockdown NBA show. Memphis has officially earned my respect to the point where we've all, I think everybody's been saying, you got to get that five seed because then you get to play Memphis. And now I'm like, hey, man, Memphis is good. Like, if Denver gets Jamal back and Jamal looks pretty good, you know, like he looks pretty scoring, you know, 17 a night, 16 a night. You get that version back. Does Denver beat Memphis? I don't know. 
Memphis is good. They have very few weaknesses and a lot of different ways to beat you. So uh, Memphis has earned my respect to where I don't think they're as good as Phoenix or Golden State, but I also don't think they're a team that Dallas, Denver, the Lakers, the Clippers should just assume they would beat if they get them in a 5-4 matchup. I'm 100% with you, man. Okay, well, I will let you uh, go back to your convalescence or bird watching. Um, <laughs> maybe both. Um, maybe both. Uh, so let them know where they can find you. Uh, I'm always doing DNVR Nuggets pregame and postgame show is the best in the DNVR Nuggets podcast, <laughs> as well as the Locked on Nuggets podcast if you want to hear me and Matt Moore argue with each other uh, on a daily basis. I uh, I people have uh matt and i have gone our rounds for very many years now and i i'm much more entertained by your arguments with matt than my arguments with matt (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny so anyway okay well thank you uh adam i really appreciate it uh we'll have you on for having me on man it's good we uh this pandemic we talked less over the last two years than we have you know over the previous four or five and i look forward knock on wood to one day one day the world being open again, I hope. Uh, yeah, no. And like I said, I, I owe you a trip to the trip to Blanchard. So, um, so anyway, thanks to Adam and thanks to you all for listening. And I will be back soon with another episode. Ta-ta.